Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. Well, we're in a series called Church on Fire, and we're making our way through the book of Acts. And we're in Acts chapter 9 tonight, and really we're learning what it means to be an impactful and long-lasting church. An impactful and long-lasting church. Um, something that uh, we can look back 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and see what God's been doing in, in people's lives, in our lives, through our lives, um, and beyond. And so the book of Acts, it's, it's titled the Acts of the Apostles. Some people call it um, the Acts of Jesus Christ through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, through the working of the apostles. It's not, it doesn't have as like, nice of a ring to it. Um, so I don't think many people stick with that, but that is the idea because it's not just about a group of people that are like working for God. It is a group of people empowered by his spirit doing the work that Jesus began. And that is sharing the message of hope that we, anybody can have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. And that's we're, so we're following that, um, progression. Now, so far, we've seen purpose and protocol. Um, We've seen power and presence. Uh, We've seen perspective and position. Um, We've seen purity and purification. We saw persecution and promise. And tonight, we will be introduced to Paul. Come on, somebody. That's pretty good. Um, I'm not going to lie to you, though. This is as far as I've got with the peas. Like, after Acts chapter 9, it's going to be pretty ordinary. But Acts 9, that's pretty good. That's a lot to cover. Um, anyway, so uh, we're going to be introduced to Paul. Now, Paul um, will become a key player in the book of Acts, um, and he's the predominant writer of the New Testament. But before he is Paul the Apostle, um, he is Saul of Tarsus, and that's sort of where we're going to meet him as Saul of Tarsus. Um, and we're going to see this transformation from Saul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle. Possible. Apostle. Now, um, just so you know, I'm going to get confused. I'm going to call him Saul and Paul. Um, unlike Peter, so Peter, who is a character in the New Testament, his name was Simon. Um, and Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter. He's like, no longer are you going to be Simon, you're going to be Peter. And he just, Jesus can do that. He's like, your name is Simon. Not anymore, it's Peter. I like it better. Um, but uh, Paul is different. Saul is his Hebrew name. But Saul felt called to reach the Gentiles, and so Paul is his Gentile name. Um, And so he called himself Paul um, so that he could connect with uh, people that were not Jews. And so uh, his name was still Saul. I'm sure a bunch of his Hebrew friends still called him Saul. He called himself Paul. So if I get confused, forgive me, but uh, Jesus didn't change the name, so I'm not doing anything wrong. Um, The message title tonight, if you're taking notes, is The Power to Change. The Power to Change. And I'm sort of asking a question, and the question is this. Do people really change? Do people really change? I think this is something that um, we hear or, 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 or think about. I, in preparation for this message, I, I Google that question, do people really change? And there's so many articles about whether or not people change. There's sort of a, a stigma with people that like who they are is who they'll always be. And so if they like betrayed you or badmouth you or did something wrong to you at one point, they're probably going to do that again to you because people never change. And so in this story, we actually see a radical transformation that happens from this guy named Saul and God transforming his life into something and someone new. All right, so Acts 9, uh, beginning in verse 1, it says this, But Saul, 
still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, so pause for a moment, the way is what early Christians were called, which is such a cool name. So they, they, they hadn't really been called Christians yet, but people that were following Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so people that were following him were considered people of the way. And so Saul says, uh, uh, if anybody belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly, all right, before we get into the good stuff, all right, um, Saul, understand what's happening. He, he is, we're told that he's still breathing threats and murder against the Christians. In other words, that, that literal translation is with every breath he breathed, he breathed threats of murder to the Christians. So he, he, he despised the people that were of the way. He thought that they were, they were a, a flea. They thought, he thought they were, they were annoying. They were a nuisance to the plans of God. And so he goes to the high priest and he gets permission. He says, hey, um, can I arrest anybody that's a follower of Jesus? Now, Saul was already, we're told, consenting to the first martyr of the church, a guy by the name of Stephen. We're told that when the, when the people that threw rocks at him and killed him, um, that they took off their coats and they laid it at Saul's feet as he watched them do this. So, so Saul hated the church, hated followers of Jesus, and wanted them either arrested or killed. So he goes, he gets permission from the high priest to now go and do this. And so he's on his way to arrest and kill followers of Jesus. And it says, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you're to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was his disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. Then he arose and he was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Okay, so do you see this, this radical transformation that's happened in just a moment? So here Saul is with permission from the high priest to go into anywhere that there are followers of Jesus, arrest them, either throw them into jail or kill them. He's got permission. He's like, all right, that's my task. And he believes he's called by God to do it. 
He thinks that he's serving God by doing this. And so he's on his way to do this. And while he's on his way, all of a sudden a light shines from heaven and a voice thunders from heaven and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in a moment, we see him go from this person that's trying to kill the church into somebody that is actually a part of the building and establishing of the church. And with this idea of the power of change and whether or not people change, I want to show us four things from this text that allow for change. Four things um, that brings this power to change. Number one, Jesus knows us and knows what's best for us. Jesus knows us and he knows what is best for us. Now, Saul was on his way to rest and kill more Christians um, when Jesus met him. Literally, like I said, the verse means that every breath he breathed were threats of murder. And with this intent, with knowing who Saul was, Jesus shows up. And notice that Jesus shows up and he calls him by name. Right, so here Saul is. Imagine it. He's like, I'm going and I'm going to find Christians. I don't care. Men, women, children, it doesn't matter. If they follow Jesus, I'm going to either arrest them or I'm going to throw them in jail. And on his way... Him knowing his intent, Jesus speaks to him and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now notice a couple things. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And then he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, who was Saul physically persecuting? Who was, who was Saul physically persecuting? Somebody said the way, the Christians, the church, right? Jesus had, already, Jesus had already died, resurrected, we just sang about it, and ascended into heaven. So, so Jesus, Saul wasn't physically persecuting Jesus, was he? No, he was, he was persecuting Christians. He was persecuting people like you and me. And Jesus shows up and he says, hey, Saul, why are you persecuting me? One of the things you need to know about God and how he feels about the church is that if you persecute the church or if you hate on the church, you're hating on God. In fact, the, the Bible goes as far to say that the church, the, the, the group of believers which we make up, up of and are beyond this, other churches in our community and in our world, the church capital C, right? We're a part of a church here. Calvary Chapel is a little C church. The big C church is the global church. The big C church is every follower of Jesus. And it says about the follower of Jesus that we are the bride of Christ. And what Jesus is saying here to Saul is, hey, buddy, don't mess with my bride. Hey, he says, why are you persecuting me? And even though, listen, even though this was Saul's reputation and behavior, Jesus had a plan for his life. Verse 15 and 16, it shows us the plan God had. It says, go for he, Paul, or Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Jesus knew Saul at his worst and yet had the best plans for his life. And if I could say this about your life, that Jesus knows you at your worst and still has the best plan for your life. Jesus knows you. And, and like he knows you, knows you. Like he knows you, the parts of you that nobody knows about you except for you. Jesus knows you. 
He sees it. The, the Bible talks about how, how nothing is hidden from the sight of God. Like, so you're like, oh, nobody caught me. Like, well, Jesus saw you. And I think part of that should cause us to be like, ugh. Ooh. You know what I mean? Like, ugh, brother. Like, ugh. All right, you saw that, huh? Hmm, okay. Like, it should make you feel a little, like, a little squirmy, I guess. But the point I want us to really see tonight is that Jesus knows you at your worst and still has his best plans for you. Jesus shows up in Saul's life when he is on his way to kill more Christians. And he says to him, he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he goes on to reveal to both Saul and to Ananias that God has a great plan for Saul's life. And can I say, at your worst, God has a plan for your best. And he wants you to walk in all the things that he has for you. And if we could come to the point where we bow the knee and we surrender our life and say, Jesus, you know me and you know what's best for me. And so I'm going to follow you into what's best for me. And when we think that I've got what's best for me, I know me and I know what's best for me. And if we can let go of that mindset and say, Jesus, you actually know me, and you know what's best for me, so I'm going to follow you. Change happens in our life when we can come to that point. We experience change when we recognize the plans that God has for us and that they're good. The second thing that we see is that we have to surrender or submit to God's plan. So we have to recognize that he has a good plan for us, but then we also have to surrender and submit to his plan. Jesus saw Saul and had plans for him, but Saul submitted to his plans. We see that both in what he says and in what he does. Verse 5 says, and he said, who are you, Lord? Right? That's, so he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And his immediate response, he, he falls down. He responds, he says, who are you, Lord? That's a really important word, the word Lord, uh, because it's a, it's a sign of reverence. It's a sign of submission. He, he's recognizing whoever I'm talking to. He's, he's not exactly sure who he's talking to, but he, whoever he is talking to, he's in charge, right? He says, who are you, Lord? You're the boss. You're in charge. And immediately he, he submits. Right away, there's a sign of submission. And then we're told that right away, he goes to where Jesus instructed and begins to follow a new plan. He, he was headed to Damascus to persecute the church, and now he heads to, to, to Damascus to connect with the Christians. Like, he, he's like, immediately, he's like, I'm going to go persecute the church, and God's like, hey, who are, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, who are you, Lord? And he's like, I want you to go here, and Saul's like, all right, I'll go there. Immediately. Like, I don't like changing my plans. I don't know about you, I hate changing plans. Unless I'm canceling plans. I love to cancel plans. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you know, the best is if you have to be somewhere early the next morning and you send a text around like 9.30, like, sorry, I'm not going to be there. And then you have the greatest night's sleep you've ever had in your whole life. Um, but, ch but, like, changing plans, especially, like, if I made a plan, I know where I want to go, I know what I want to do, and, like, I've got to change the plans. Like, that's a big deal. And so Saul is on it. He like got permission from the high priest. He's going to Damascus. He's got his plans. He's got his direction. And Saul's like, God's like, nope. No, new plan. New plan. We're not doing that anymore. And immediately he both submits verbally 
But then also with his life, he says, okay, I'm going to do those new plans. Real change happens in our lives when we surrender ourselves and submit ourselves to the plans and working of God. Even when they are the complete opposite of what we were planning for ourselves. Is there something that God has for you that you're unwilling to surrender to him? Is there a relationship, an action, a habit, your future, your parents' plan for your life? Is there something in your life that you're unwilling to submit and surrender to God's plan for your life? Because sometimes we hold fast way too tight to our plans or our parents' plans or our teachers' plans for our life. And we don't grab onto, and in fact, we miss out on God's plans for our life. we got to sur- Surrender. The third thing we got to do for change to happen, we got to know that Jesus has a plan for that he knows us and he's got a plan. We got to submit ourselves, surrender ourselves to that plan. And then the third thing is we got to find community that will help us get there. Notice um, that Saul was received into the faith by Ananias. Verse 17, it says, So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, pause real quick. Let me just clarify. This is not the same Ananias that got killed a few chapters ago. (laughs) Remember Ananias and Sapphira? This guy redeems the name Ananias. It's like that guy, he's gone. Remember that story? Acts 5, if you don't, go read it. You'll be confused and like, oh my gosh, what happened? Listen to the podcast. It might make sense. Um, This is a different Ananias, okay? Um, But whatever the case, he shows up and and notice what he says to Saul right away. Notice what he calls him. Did you notice what he called him? There in verse 17. Somebody, does somebody see it? What did he call him? Brother. He called him brother, right? And this isn't like some like, what's up, bro? (laughs) Kind of brother. What's up, bud? I hate being called bud. So if I ever call you bud or buddy, I'm sorry. I, I, it's, it's only love, but sometimes I don't like it. Anyways, um, he calls him Brother Saul. Now, Ananias had every reason to reject and hate Saul, didn't he? Ananias is a guy that's been following Jesus. He's a guy that's been a part of the church. And now Saul um, is showing up at his house, and now he's got to pray for Brother Saul, I wonder, I wonder if Ananias um, maybe had friends or family members or siblings or spouse, maybe that has been arrested or persecuted by Brother Saul um, for their faith. And now Jesus calls him and says, hey, Ananias, I want you to go. Um, and there's a guy named Saul, and I want you to pray for him. And I love, did you notice Ananias' response when Jesus said that? He's like, uh, I've heard about this guy. He's bad news. Right? He's like, maybe, I know you're busy up there, God. Maybe you missed this one. This guy's not good news. Like, this guy is actually, um, he's, he's persecuting your church. You notice that? I, I, I got to read it. Where is it? I got to find it. He says, uh, rise, go to your call today. And it's a vision, man. And the Lord. Listen to this, verse 13. Lord, I have heard. From many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. He's like, uh, maybe you're a little confused, Jesus. This guy saw is bad news. We don't want him around. This is not good. 
But then notice what he does. He submits himself to the plans of God. He walks over and does probably a very, very difficult task to lay hands on him and pray for him. And this is what community is all about. It's about being in a group of people that look different and have different background and experiences but can come together in the name of Jesus. This is what Ananias does, right? He says, man, this guy Saul, he, he's nothing but trouble. And yet, he says, okay, I'm going to do it. I trust you. And he welcomes, in, welcomes him in and prays for him. And, and something remarkable is happening early on in the church. Something remarkable because it, it was different than, than any other place on the planet that you could go to. Where regardless of background or ethnicity or male or female or wherever you come from, you could walk in these doors and you could be accepted. And the reason for that is because all of us walk in the same way. All of us come in the same way. No, nobody, nobody comes in because they're better than somebody else. Everybody comes in humbly through faith in Jesus and through the work that Jesus has done on the cross. And, and so, so Saul can walk in and Ananias can walk in and the two of them who couldn't be any more different can come together and sit together and pray together and be together because of the finished work, the, the, because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Listen, if you want to see change in your life, surround yourself with people that are different than you, that love Jesus. And that's the beauty of the church. That's the beauty of this church. I know many of you have, have, have different backgrounds, listen to different music, have different hobbies, think different politically, are interested in different sports team, come from a whole sorts of different backgrounds and families. Some of you grew up in great families. Others of you don't know your families or don't know your parents. And yet all of us can come here and recognize, well, we all have the same Heavenly Father. And we all are saved the same way. And we can all have relationship with God. And there's beauty in that. There's power in that. And so Saul, he's immediately... Welcome into that. And then the final thing I would say that, that allows for, for change is to have deep connections. Okay, so we're in, uh, we've finished in verse 19. Jump down to verse 26. There's kind of like a, a strange twist that happens, but I think, it, I think it's really good, especially coming off that last thought I just said. Um, verse 26. It says this, when he, that Saul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. Okay, pause. These Christians must have missed the sermon part that I just gave. Right? So, so Saul has this remarkable, unique encounter with God, right? I mean, I don't know about you. I've never, I've never heard an audible voice from God. I've never been walking along the street and all of a sudden light brighter than the sun shows up and God starts speaking to me. Hasn't happened to me. Saul has this incredible encounter with God. He goes to the church, Ananias welcomes him, prays for him. And then Saul's like, man, the church is awesome. This is crazy. People love me. They accept me. This is great. So he leaves and he goes to Jerusalem and he, he shows up to church. Hey, I'm Saul. I'm a, I'm a Christian. And they're like, uh, I don't know. 
we've heard about you, buddy. Like, eh. maybe sit in the back. I don't know. Maybe uh, come back next week. Maybe sit outside and, 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 and listen through the speakers outside. I don't know if you can actually come into the church just yet. And so they're afraid of him. They're afraid of him. They're like, this guy, they think he's like a, like a secret agent. They're like, he's coming in here to spy us out, and he's, he's trying, to, trying to take down this whole thing. So they're afraid of him. But then listen to this, verse, seven, verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the disciples and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them, at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Some people didn't accept him right away. They needed time to see if he was serious about all this change. But Barnabas, who, who we actually met him a few weeks ago, took him and begins to disciple him. So Barnabas, Barnabas, remember his name means son of encouragement, and this is the guy that just, he loves on people, and he accepts people, and he walks with people. Um, and we're told that he sold a portion of his land, and he gave it all to the church. And that's what caused the other Ananias and Sapphira to be like, we want that. Like, we want people to think we're cool. And so they sold their house and gave some of it to the church. And that became a whole thing. Remember? So that same Barnabas meets Saul. And everyone else is like, I, I imagine, like, Saul standing kind of by himself. And all the other, like, Christians that have been there for, like, way longer. The church has been around for, like, 100 days? <laughs> like the church, I mean, it's, it, and they're like, oh, Saul, he's got so much learning to do. <laughs> Isn't that funny, though, that's how we are? Like, I've been a Christian one week longer, and I'm so much more spiritual than they are. So they're, they're I mean, I just imagine, and, and by, by himself, and, and Barnabas walks up to him and says, like, hey, what's going on? takes him to the apostles, talks to him, and, and God begins to do this work in his life. They had deep connection and relationship that allowed for Saul to really grow. What I want, what I want us to sort of see is, is we need to have people in our, our lives or a person in our life that can really challenge us and cause us to grow. Who is the person in your life or the people in your life that you have given permission to talk to you about anything or call you out or challenge you to be more like Jesus and less like you? Who are the people in your life that know that they've been given permission? Like you have told them, hey, you can call me when I'm being an idiot. You can tell me when I'm being stupid. You can message me and say, hey, what you just posted is really sus. You should take that down. Like who are the people in your life that you have given the permission to speak into your life like that, to make you, to challenge you, to, to cause you to become more like Jesus. If you don't have a person like that, you need one. But listen to me, listen to me. Not everyone you go to church with will be that for you. Some people you go to church with might not like you or accept you. One of the things that drives, I'm, I'm going to rant for a moment because I have the microphone. Worship team, you guys should come up here so I finish soon. One of the things I, I hate, well, let me just say, I don't like it when 
I'm going to read it from Minus. One of the things that drives me crazy about the church is the accusation that is, in quotes, clicky. That was what my notes said. The church is the only place that gets accused of that. Right? The church is the only place that I think that word was made up by disgruntled church people. Like, where, what other context is the word clicky used? I don't think anywhere else. Like, school? If, if, if you're alone at school you have to find a friend. <laughs> like, that's on you, man. Like, if nobody likes you at school, that's kind of on you. And I think, I think the, the, the church is the only place that gets accused of that. But listen to me, in a good, diverse, and real church, not everyone's going to be best friends. Right? Not everyone's going to be best friends. But here's the thing. You are not responsible for other people's actions. You're only responsible for yours. So what do we do? Listen, this, sometimes when we feel like Saul, we have to act like Barnabas. Sometimes when we feel like we're alone, we've got to act like Barnabas and find somebody else that's alone. Sometimes, let me tell you, sometimes we come to church and we feel like Saul. I walked in, I'm a Christian. Like, I want to be friends with somebody, and whoa, nobody accepted me. Saul just went from, like, no, 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 no. Jesus, talk to me. Like, out loud, Jesus, talk to me. And they're like, they're like that Saul guy's really weird. I think he killed, I think he's killed somebody before. <laughs> maybe, maybe if we ignore him, it will go away. And man, sometimes we felt like that. I can tell you, I felt like that. You're in a setting and you're like, gosh, I feel alone. I feel like nobody cares about me. I feel like people are talking about me. I feel like, I feel, what's going on? I thought this was a church. I thought people were supposed to welcome me. I thought they were supposed to be loving we tell you, sometimes when you feel like Saul, you got to be like Barnabas. you got to be like, I'm going to find somebody I can encourage. Because if there is some, somebody out there that, that feels like that, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to just be the Saul in the situation that every time I'm moping around, somebody else has got to encourage me. I want to be like Barnabas who can look out and find other people in my life or other people in my church that seem like they're alone or feel like they're left out and I can be that encouragement to them. We have to be willing to step out and make connections and find people we can encourage. But also, I mean, I gave my rant about the accusation of clicky, but I also, I don't want this place to, to be accused of being clicky or, or, or to feel like, no, let me just say, like, you can have friends, right? Like, you can have friends, you can have close friends. That's cool. But what, one of the things I tell, like, our team and, and especially people in leadership is that we have to leave our circle open. What I mean by that is there's a tendency, I think, human beings is we, like, when we're talking to a group of friends, we circle up. You know, you're just kind of, like, hanging out, you circle up talking and sometimes that like you don't even we don't even mean it we're just like we're just hanging out talking to our friends but I like to say like if we could leave space that always one more person can walk into our circle 
And so we want to be people like that. We want to make sure that we are we're inviting, that we're allowing people in. But we have to, we have to be intentional that we're all going to be Barnabas. Right? We're all going to be people that are looking out for other people that feel alone. But with all of that said, that was sort of my side rant. Um, we need people in our life, like Barnabas was for Saul, that can encourage us and can speak truth into our life and that can correct us when we need it and can say, hey, that was not the heart of God in that situation. That did not represent Jesus well. That, that behavior or what you said or what you posted or, or what you were doing does not represent Jesus well. You are the way. <laughs> you are a part of this whole thing. You represent you're a part, you're the bride of Christ, and we need to step out and represent him well. Listen, change can happen even in the people we think could never change. But there's still things that have to happen. Saul does change. He goes from persecutor of the church to prominent figure and champion for the church. Like from this point on, we're going to, it goes back to Peter and some of the other apostles. And then the majority of the book of Acts is about Paul, Saul, going into all of the world that had yet heard the gospel and preaching the gospel to people. And he, and he recounts in, in the book of Corinthians about the different things he experienced. You know how Jesus, part of his calling, he says, I'm going to show him how much he will suffer for my namesake. Paul lives up to that. He suffers for the, for the name of Jesus. He, he's shipwrecked and in prison and people try to kill him. He's got to sneak out of a, in, in fact, in this chapter, he's got to sneak out of a city in a basket. They lower him down a wall. Like who, what, what does, who, that's so weird. And yet all of this, but because he felt this call of God on his life, he accepted it and he walked in it. He goes from persecutor to prominent figure in the church. What about you? What's your story? What does God want to do in your life? Maybe addicted to set free. Maybe a gossip to someone that encourages. Maybe anxious to excited. Maybe, maybe timid to bold. Maybe afraid to somebody that's going to step out in faith. Maybe someone that's isolated to somebody that's building community around them. Maybe somebody that that's, that's, that's feels uh, just disappointed or, or, or hurt by everybody to somebody that's going to encourage and challenge and, and, and be there for other people. How does God want to transform your life? Because I want to be somebody that's less like me and more like Jesus. I want to be somebody that's day by day being transformed into the image of Jesus, allowing Christ to be formed in me. So we got to allow these things to happen in our lives. There's power to change when we surrender our will to the will of God. 